The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey, Rockheads! Stop soaking your beaver pelt in Molson brine and listen up! It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, eh? The internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Jeff Maciolik, here to announce show number 193 with guest Joel Semenya. Recorded live Thursday, August 17th, 2006. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter, and now offering a whole suite of on-site and remote classes in .NET 2.0 technologies. Online at www.franklins.net. And by Telerik RAD Controls, the most comprehensive suite of components for Windows Forms and ASP.NET web applications. Online at www.telerik.com Support is also provided by Developer Express, crafting first-class tools, frameworks, and controls for the .NET developer. Improve your experience online at www.devexpress.com And by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com And now, the man who, for the next hour, refuses to use the word hoser, Carl Franklin! Thank you very much. You're listening to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin in New London, Connecticut. Uh, of course, I'm talking to my partner out there in British Columbia, Richard Campbell. How are you, sir? I am well. And is it my imagination, or is 200 creeping up on us? 200 is creeping up. We have something very special planned. I'm really looking forward to it. Should be a lot of fun. Yeah. Reflective in nature, I think. Trying to do something different, because the 100th show was so good. It was. (laughs) (laughs) It was, wasn't it? It was a lot of fun. Yeah. I'm not saying that booze will be involved, but I'm not saying it won't. I'm saying by the end of that show, we're all going to be smashed. I'm sure. I don't know. It's still going to be good listening, I promise. Okay. It won't be Carl and Richard get schnockered on the radio. It won't be that. No. Richard, before we talk to Joel, I just got to tell the people about the .NET Rocks Tech Ed Barcelona sweepstakes. If you have been paying attention the last couple of weeks, we're giving away a ticket to Tech Ed Developer in Barcelona, which you can read about at shrinkso.com slash HHH. It's November 7th to 10th which means I won't be at Dev Connections in Las Vegas because of this, not because I don't like Dev Connections, just because of the scheduling conflict, but Mark Dunn is taking over for me there. We are going to be podcasting Tech Ed Developer Europe from the show floor, interviews with people at the show. We're also going to do a .NET Rocks Live with a surprise guest, and we'll be hosting uh, a live presentation called Speaker Idol which I think has something to do with people competing to be to get a speaker slot at TechEd. And uh, all you have to do is go to .nerox.com slash Barcelona or shrinks.com HHI or click on the big Barcelona button. Now, there's two reasons we needed to do this. One, we wanted to get a little more information about you so that in particular how many downloads were actually, uh, you know, how many people are actually listening to us but also a little bit about you know your the line of work and all that kind of stuff so that we can better line up advertisers and keep the show on the air. But there's only a few questions. It's not a big deal. Once you register with us, uh, you'll get one entry per email address per week. That means you're going to answer a question about the week's show. 
And we're going to draw a winner from those people every week. Now, those aren't the winners for the contest. There's only one winner. But every week, we'll pick a winner to get a choice of uh, swag item from our useless crap store. And on October 24th, we're going to pick a winner from all the weekly winners uh, to go to Barcelona. So last week's question was, what two toppings did Stephen Forte get on his pizza at Piola? And the answer is onions and garlic. And we randomly picked a winner from all the people who got the right answer. And this week's winner is none other than Mark Ingalls from Rapid City, South Dakota. Congratulations, Mark. You get your pick of swag, and you're in the running for the big shoe. Now, this week's question is online at uh, tottenayrocks.com slash Barcelona. In the meantime, I also want to mention we're going to be in Bulgaria October 9th and 10th at DevReach, devreach.com. Telerik's involved with that one, our friends over there. And we'll also be at the Tulsa Tech Fest, along with Mark Miller. He's going to be there in Tulsa, Oklahoma, tulsatechfest.com. And finally, my last announcement is that Joel Semeniuk is going to be teaching a five-day hands-on team system class here at Franklin's Net in New London, Connecticut, the week of November 27th, right after Thanksgiving. You can get more information at www.franklins.net. Okay, so let's uh, let's talk to our guest, shall we? Uh, Joel Semeniuk is a founder of Imaginet Resources Corporation, a Canadian-based Microsoft Gold partner. He is also a Microsoft Regional Director and has a degree in computer science from the University of Manitoba. Joel has spent the last 12 years or so providing educational development and infrastructure consulting services to customers throughout North America. Joel specializes in helping organizations realize their potential through maturing their software development and information technology practices. Welcome, Joel Semeniuk. Welcome back. Hey, thanks a lot, guys. Good to be back. When, you know, you, you uh, basically introduced our listeners, or at least us, uh, to the best explanation of team system we'd ever heard. Absolutely. That's great. Good news. Yeah. So team system has been coursing through your veins in the last couple of years, I take I it. I live, breathe, and eat team system. There's no denying that. How does it taste? <laughs> but I realized uh, when I was doing show planning that the last time we talked to you about team system was before Foundation Server had even shipped. Right. So we're we really are missing out on some big pieces of this stuff and it's it's getting mature now, isn't it? It is starting to settle down, you bet. I mean, we've uh, obviously at TechEd we've seen the new release of uh, database professional for Team System which has really added a sweet spot to uh, to the value of Team Suite. Oh, you're speaking uh, but, my language. I'm the database guy. I'm really okay. excited about data. Yeah, we data love dude that. as it Amen, was once brother. called. We love you data bet. dude. And uh Team Foundation is really kind of uh you know, as its name suggests, the foundation for, uh, you know, more goodness. Uh, and that was released, uh, you know, early this year. More officially. wholesome goodness. More wholesome goodness. Baked and I'm kind of surprised. You know, you talk about that's the foundation. How could they ship the product without it? Well, I mean, to tell you quite truthfully, you know, the, the, the team suite aspect has really much more of an extension to the existing developer tools that were already out there. So we had just some amazing functionality around unit testing and uh, and doing design uh, design work. Team Foundation is really there for the connection of all this stuff, the the collaboration component, really being involved in uh, things like bug tracking and so forth. So it's really the collaborative heart, the data the data warehouse heart of the product that extends not the the tools itself, but how those tools interact with the team. So, Joel, clear this up for us. Does uh, Is Team System Foundation Services required in order to do work items and bug tracking and all of that stuff? Yeah. Um, what That's really one of the core services that Team Foundation Server provides uh, is, in fact, work item tracking. So, in a nutshell, work item tracking, uh, the Team Foundation Server just allows you to track stuff. Work items are declarative pieces of stuff that you want to track, and one of them happens to be a bug, and there are other things like tasks and issues and, and risks and so forth. It's good. Um, I'm glad they're calling them work items because, you know, I work with a lot of different companies using various bug trackers, 
and they use them for way more than bugs. They're where we put in our new feature ideas. I've even gone so far as to write bugs on how to do analysis of a particular chunk of data so that we're really sort of accumulating a knowledge base of how this particular system works. So calling them bugs is really undermining their true significance of what a tool like that does. Yeah, I mean, you, you can't really say it's a bug tracking system, yet it is an amazing bug tracking system. Um, you know, and what's even more powerful is that it's totally extensible. Um, so if you wanted to create your own work item types or you wanted to change or modify existing work item types, let's say to add fields or to take away fields, for example, you can totally do that, which allows you to track um, so many different things. Like, for example, on my teams, we typically track personas, which are kind of like actors in a use case inside uh, of team system. That's just another thing that we want to track. Uh, that's not built into Team System, but it was you know takes us about ten minutes to extend it and allow us to have lists of you know personas. I hear this over and over again about Team System that everything is extensible, that they're not making any final definitions of how you do anything. Right. So so give us an example of what you could how you could extend it. How you could modify the behavior? You know, uh, this is this is really the, the the thing that really gives me goosebumps. In fact, I'm actually standing walking around my office right now and just talking about the extensibility story has really been some of our successes over the last year. It hasn't necessarily been the the features that have been out of the box. However, they've been really good. But it's the ability to extend them and modify them to our needs. So the first place that most customers actually start looking at when it when it comes to extensibility is in fact work items. So work items are stored and defined uh, by XML files. Um, so if I wanted to go and modify uh, work items, I can actually use some, some tools to kind of extract the definition out of uh, team system into an XML definition. I go and modify that XML definition. For example, I can add fields or add rules like workflow inside of the work item definition itself and then re-import that XML back into the server. And lo and behold, we've got a new work item type definition with... Uh, some new rules that will govern how it's used. Uh -huh. um, so a lot of the people actually change, for example, like mandatory fields. They might want to ensure that, um, um, you know, that the triage uh, the field is, is filled out in a certain way, for example, or that a particular rule uh, in workflow is followed. So, for example, I can't uh, add a new requirement until it's been approved by someone. That's nice because that's how you're starting to enforce your own rules. I mean, we're so adamant against Microsoft forcing us down a path. But when you're actually governing a team, you want to have enforceable rules like stuff like it must be triaged, it must be approved, those sorts of things to be able to set those guidelines yourself. Or less rules. I mean, I've worked for organizations that, you know, have the book. You walk into the organization that says, this is how we develop software. This is our software development methodology. And you go, but I'm only here for three weeks and I've got a team of myself. Really? Do I have to follow yeah. <laughs> all of these rules? The reality is, is that when I start working with customers and we look at their processes and as a whole, we found that there's really kind of clusters of rules based on the types of projects people are working on. You're working on a really large application with business analysts and testing departments and so forth. Those are going to be different rules, different methodologies than an agile team of three guys is trying to figure out a little workflow application internal to the, to the organization. Um, so let's embrace that. Let's embrace those differences and, and have different rules uh, for each type of the project that we're working on. You know, it's an interesting problem we're working on right now. Uh, my Strange Loop project is well in the development cycle, and it's not a big team. It's a small team of people that's building software. But when you're talking about networking, the stuff must be 100%. So while we don't have a lot of code, and we don't have a lot of people, we have a lot of process. We have an unbelievable amount of testing. The number of test cases, every time we make any change, we've got to check every test case to make sure everything behaves still. And I just can't imagine building this kind of software without the kind of framework that we have with the modern development tools. Uh, agreed. And, you know, and work items play a huge role in that because they allow you to track stuff. So I've worked in many organizations that have tracked stuff in documents. 
um, and quite frankly, uh, documents aren't the best places to track stuff like requirements, like features, like bugs, like tests, and so forth. Uh, what you want is to be able to track those pieces individually from each other, but also have good association, traceability between all these different things so that if I have a requirement defined in my system, I might want to have that requirement traced to all the test cases that validate that, in fact, that requirement changes. Oh, sorry, uh, to, to validate that that requirement is still met in the software. So if my requirement changes, because of my traceability, I should be able to find what test cases I have to actually go and modify mm. to ensure that my new requirement or the new version of the requirement is still satisfied in the software. Yeah. That's hard to do in docs. That's really, really hard, hard to, to do. do. Yeah. And I could see, because of the integration with Studio, the capturing things like who worked on it and for how long they worked and what their work actually was sort of falls naturally out of the tool. Right. Well, what's really, really cool uh, and, and has really added a lot of value um, underpinning the application, the Team Foundation servers, the data warehouse. So we have these work items, and it gives us nice lists, and you know we ha- we can track things, and they go through workflow, and and villagers are generally dancing because of it. But more importantly, <laughs> all of all of the data, all of the state, and all of the history goes inside of uh, some data, a uh, big large data warehouse, so I can understand trends, I can understand the relationship between different types of work items, and and even different work items. Uh, and quality uh, for my team itself. I can understand how my project is progressing. I can interpret uh, and interpolate some uh, future uh, impacts that we might not be aware of if we're just looking at the data and the list themselves. Uh, and that is really quite powerful. Now, are we interpolating or are we extrapolating? Extrapolating is probably the better word. <laughs> But you, the idea being, of course, one of the major questions the business guy is going to ask, and hey, fa- let's face it, from the strange loop side of things, I'm the business guy, is when will it be done? Or more importantly, will it be done on this date? Right. Um, right. You know, the correct answer, of course, being was. no. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So that's, that's the thing the that it, it's very easy to get an instant snapshot of what, you know what your project state at any time, rather than having to you know set up and run a special report. It's just there, right? Yeah. Well, there's this really one really great report, and I guess this leads us into the we're kind of jumping all over the place here. But there's one really great report that I use uh, at a number of my customer sites. It's called the Remaining Work Report, and it's a cumulative flow report, which kind of shows you the trends of how things are going over time. And you know, by by looking at this this report, you can actually see uh, uh, trend lines that are going to be resulting from it, and you can basically determine whether or not, based on your current velocity, your current quality metrics, will you actually hit some deadline? Uh, will you accomplish what you said you were going to accomplish at the start of your iteration or project? Has it been accurate? Um, well, there's always fluctuations um, and, and uh, in a project, but it, it does give you a, a good feel. So it's, it's not meant to be um, a, a very precise measuring tool. It's most, mostly going to give That's you feedback around are. general yeah. trends. Most reports are like that anyway. Yeah. I'm wondering, if does it gradually get more accurate over time? That it's accumulating well, knowledge about the way the developers work and sort of well, get a sense, learn more about how long things actually take. Well, that's an interesting question because in a number of customers, we, we look at these reports and we say, you know, what can we learn from these reports? And it turns out, it says, well, you know, if we entered work items in this way and tracked them a little differently, we'd actually get much more better reports. And and so it allows you to kind of fine-tune your tracking system depending on how accurate or what type of outs you want from your reports. For for example, on on a lot of projects that we start off, when do we go back and update work items? So if I've got 50 bugs assigned to me and and I've knocked those bugs off um, during my development cycle, do I, at the end of the week, go in and into my reporting, or sorry, my work item tracking and, and close off those 50 bugs? Or do I close them off as I go forward? So, interesting question. It seems like a no-brainer. Um, but interestingly enough, how you do it would affect what that little chart looks like. Sure. Right. Um, you're going to get lots bigger steps 
graphs inside of your charts that show cumulative flow of bug closing versus if you were to you know close bugs off every day and you get a more natural kind of real time trend of how things are flowing. More of a curve. Yeah, exactly. So little things like that have forced us to, you know, we'd like to see trending every day instead of at the end of an iteration or at the end of a, a phase of a project, for example. So we try to interact with the tool uh, daily. So as we're working with our bugs, we're closing bugs off. As we're delivering features into production, we are, you know, marking that, that state uh, in that way as we're doing so. And we actually get more I won't call them real-time, but say more real-time trends of, of what's happening on my project instead of mm. seeing the results tr- like a traditional project at the end of a phase. You know, so how did we do, guys? How, you know, did we meet our timelines? Are we going to meet the, the project? Right. Uh, you want to have a more immediate feedback than that. I can see that the reports close the loop, that finally... You know, most developers use a bug tracker highly resistantly, the minimum effort possible. That's why you end up finishing up all your bugs at the end of the week because you want to. That's when the reporting period is. But if you were posting that graph every day, so that it shows people get into the routine of make sure you update everything every day because you can see it every day. It's a simple feedback mechanism. If you're not going to get feedback, you're not going to change behavior. Right. So, you know, we need to have something that's going to give us feedback without a project manager having to do all that logistical stats stuff themselves. Right. Which, if traditionally, if we really wanted to have that, those good metrics, it's up to the project manager to set up processes to first gather those metrics, and then second of all, enforce that those, met, you know, that developers conform to processes that generate those metrics, and then the consolidation of that data into something meaningful back to the developers takes time. This is just done automatically, which is awesome. Yeah. yeah, low labor just happens all, you know, that's how you make it reliable, that it takes very little effort for it to always be there. Well, you know, I'm writing a book right now called Managing Projects with Team System, and, and it's, all about, it's all about thinking about the management of projects to make them successful, not necessarily the logistical side of project management. The, ultimately, we do logistics in order to give us metrics and a way of, of baselining our processes so mm-hmm. that we can get better. But wouldn't it be great if we didn't have to do the logistics so that we can understand the metrics and allow our project team to be more proficient and effectively, you know, higher quality deliverables and and focus more on the management side, not the tracking and logistical side Mm. of what we're doing. Yeah. Joel, you seem pretty bullish on team system overall. Do you have any uh, complaints or anything you'd like to see work a little better? Well, you know, it's it's a V1 product. Um, and 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 with that, there are going to be uh, some some initial um, problems, I guess you can say. When you know we have in a in, in a couple of different customers kind of uncovered some load issues, and Microsoft has been very very open about how they've been addressing scalability. Uh, Brian Harry's blog he goes into a great deal of detail into how they've addressed scalability issues internally to Microsoft. But we've been seeing them as well at customer sites. When you get into a large amount of, of files and if you get a lot, of mon- a lot number of uh, work items, you will see degradation in both the data warehouse and, 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 and certain operations when it comes to version control. So obviously those need to get fixed. Do you, um, think, that's, do you think it's something that can be fixed at the database? Uh, well, with you know, indexing they, they're, and... they're tweaking it all over the place. I mean, for example, there's some good stories out there that says, you know, we tweaked this one store procedure and we got 400% more efficiency over this particular operation. Mm. Um, you know, I've heard from the product team that they're looking to go uh, from operations that take 10 minutes to 20, uh, 15 to 20 seconds just by changing kind of how they're working with the data um, under the hood, you know, they've uncovered a lot of locking issues at, at the yeah. SQL Server level, for example. Well, let's address those. Because I'm thinking it's time to call Kim Tripp, right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. She should be on, the, on the, the advisory committee for that one, for sure. Five minutes. Oh, here's your problem. Tweak, gone. Problem gone. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm looking at uh, Brian Harry's blog, just talking about his stats on them dog-fooding the uh, team system themselves. Yeah, and the you know they they've got a SAN to run this thing that's got fifteen paired three hundred gigabyte drives in it and a spare. Yeah, huh. 
Now that's a big database. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice. But look at the, you I mean, the stats are crazy. 750 users, uh, 200,000 open work items. Richard, where are you reading this? This is off of uh, Brian Harry's blog, just talking about the July stats. Well, I had a link them, to that. You know, consuming their own dog food, using Team System in-house. And there they are beating things up. And, and their goal is scalability. I mean, uh, in a lot of cases, m- most of my customers aren't hitting these thresholds. No, it um, makes sense to me that Microsoft has got huge projects. And I hope that they don't emphasize that aspect of team systems so much because there's so many people out there with their 10, 15 person shops that really need this stuff. Oh, really yeah. need a solution at that scale. Absolutely. And at a departmental level as well. I mean, I'm working with a number of large organizations. Instead of, you know, really doing this at the enterprise scale, uh, they're really doing it departmentally. And they're having a lot of really great successes uh, with the tool. Um, You know, they're adopting it. Their methods of adopting are, they're kind of doing the no-brainers first. It's kind of like, well, we've been using Visual SourceSafe for the longest time, and we want out. You know, someone save (laughs) us. Um, You know, and, and then... Come, you know, out comes Team Foundation Server, and for just a brand new version control system alone, right. um, they they believe that um, you know the, the the mitigation and risk is justifying the purchase of the product, uh, and then they get all this other good stuff that they'll learn to use eventually, like bug tracking, like issue tracking, and and crazy enough things like requirements, you know. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I'm thinking again as a business owner. Being able to track the true cost of a feature, like right. to go through and right. say, this is when we put in the bug, this is how long we worked on it, this is how much it really cost us in effort and time. Well, see, that's where I'd say that Team System probably doesn't do a great job. And I'll tell you why. A lot of companies that I've worked with have tried to take Team System and turn it into a time tracking system. Please right. record, Mr. Developer, Mrs. or whatever developer, how much time you spent on that bug, on this task, on this feature. And it really breaks down. Um, it's, it's really not a good tool for time tracking. Therefore, if it's not tracking time accurately, it's very hard to get um, overall uh, a big a bigger picture of total cost of ownership for, or sorry, total mm-hmm. cost of development for a particular feature, for example. Well, now it's extensible. Is it easy enough to write a plug-in at the client that can interact with the Team Foundation um, server? Yeah. Um, there's a, um, a couple of companies. One of them is Avanade, who's, who's writing a, a plug-in with uh, Microsoft Project Server that will allow you to better track your time inside of Project Server and take some of that metrics and push them back and forth between Team Server and Project Server. That tool, uh, as to my knowledge, hasn't been released yet. And I know that uh, Microsoft has been getting a lot of um, feedback on this particular problem uh, in the lack, the general lack of integration between Project Server and Team Foundation Server that would allow for these types of metrics to be harvested properly. Well, Joel, i got some more questions for you, but before that, I want to take a minute to say that this portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Developer Express. Developer Express, crafting first-class tools, frameworks, and controls for the .NET developer. Improve your experience online at www.devexpress.com. Joel, um, you, you mentioned a couple of, uh, of bugs or, if you will, issues. But what about features that you wish were there? You know, the, the, the V2 features, whether Microsoft is thinking about them or not, I'm, I'm sure they are. But, um, you know, what, what would you like to see? Personally, I would like to have a better um, design and integrated experience for the project manager. One of my biggest pet peeves is uh, is an iteration. An iteration um, in in the project management world is a block of time that we we're going to use as a bucket to do stuff in. Now, an iteration inside a team system acts more like a simple label. It has a name that we can assign to things 
to work items. It doesn't have any context. It doesn't have any date ranges. It doesn't have any constraints around it. I'd like to have or to see the iteration um, become more real inside of team systems so that as a project manager, I can naturally visualize the flow of, uh, of my project through that, that really important concept called an iteration. And right now, that's generally lacking. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to see hierarchical work items. Uh, a lot of you know that a lot of people break down yeah. problems hierarchically, and right now there is no concept of hierarchy inside of the work items. So you can't really link one to another one. Is that what you're saying? Well, linking is there, um, but it's non-directional. So uh, in other tools that you see on the market, you have the concept of a trace from and a trace to. Right. So, for yeah. example, I can have a requirement and then task that implement that requirement, trace from that requirement. Now, inside of team system, linking is non-directional. It's just as I'm linking to those work items, and, and, and there it is. And so thinking like about the see- way that, that I've worked on projects using other products where often we'll build sort of the, the parent bug or the parent work item says, this is the business case for the problem. And we know it involves these servers developers and these UI developers and these database developers. And we'll create separate subordinate tasks for each one of those different pieces. And then those might be decomposed into work items for individual people. Yeah. Right. And you don't finish the top one until all the lower ones are are discovered. And, And of course, one of the things you find out as soon as you dig into that like that is that there are other issues you didn't think of. And so the thing cascades quite a ways. Yeah. Well, you've just actually hit on something that um, is also really important, and that's cross-work item workflow, which is kind of what we're talking about. We're saying, you know, like what a hierarchy, is great, a dependency tree. But more importantly, like if a, if a requirement goes from accepted, sorry, a proposed to accepted stage, wouldn't it be great if five other work items are generated saying, okay, now I've got to do these things to implement that, that requirement. Ah. Right now, there's no workflow that spans work items, meaning that I can have workflow within. It's really just a state, a state graph. So I can really have a state graph inside of a work item such that it has to go through particular states. But those states do not interact with the other states of, uh, or states of other work item types like bugs or, or so forth. You know, for example, wouldn't it be cool if if I changed a requirement definition and it went from completed to, you know, uh, in progress again, for example, which means I'm changing the requirement. Wouldn't it be good if it decided to go through all of the tasks and the bugs and the test cases that were related to that requirement and flag them as, ooh, you might have to look at the the tasks that are associated to the requirement that I'm changing, for example. Mm. There's, you know, to to have that level of extrapolation isn't quite there yet. You have to kind of dig and do, create special queries and dig into the warehouse even sometimes. Now, Joel, is this something that you can you can compensate for by extensibility? Well, see, there's the good story. the The extensibility is really the key there. I, you know, I've been doing probably more extensibility work. Um, than anything else lately. I mean, we were the first to create a process template editor, which allowed, um, you know, I mentioned before that work items are defined inside of XML, but really the entire project structure, um, the work item types, the queries that you see, the, the documents that are inside of the document library and so forth, they're all defined inside of something called a team project template. And that's just a whole cluster of XML files. Now, XML is wonderful, except when you have referential integrity between the XML files and so forth. So what we did is we built a GUI on top of this XML that allowed companies to much more easily um, modify the definitions of work items and the process templates themselves and publish them back up to team systems. Um, more importantly, our tool also, with the, the extensive set of APIs, further validates that XML before it actually publishes up to the server to help cut down on some of the round trips if you've made some boo-boo. So uh-huh. the extensibility is, is profound. Um, the APIs around version control, for example, are huge. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that we can do with version control out of the box. Um, and But if you look at the APIs, the, you know, sky's the limit. I had a guy in my class in the UK about a year ago who was talking to me about Vault's um, show blame function where, you know, I want to see the the person who touched that line of code last so that I can go and bonk him on the head, right? (laughs) (laughs) And, And 
you know, the reality is that out of the box, we don't have a show blame feature. But using the APIs, and I'm not kidding you, within four hours, he created a utility that showed blame. Now, is this done with a plug-in interface or interfaces or, um, you know, the plug-in architecture idea, components, uh, raw objects and APIs? How, what's the implementation uh, syntax like? It's, it's pretty broad. Um, most of the customization is done through client-side APIs, which are very, very robust. So different, um, you know, there is a team foundation uh, set of objects that you can call. Um, you make references to in your code and, and just get to do stuff for you. There's also a pretty extensive plug-in model, which means that you can develop your own services that plug right into team system and extend some of the services that are there. However, that's really more for the vendor, uh, the ISVs that are out there that are looking to literally extend the, the core product functionality. Uh, so most people who are doing extensibility are just using the, the, uh, the published APIs that are, are normally ex- uh, found on the client side. And that brings us to the next question, which is, what is the third-party market like? Is it growing? Uh, does it exist? Well, I mean, there's, there's uh, lots of people who are plugging in and integrating with Team System. I've seen a few, um, for example, some requirements, requirement management tools that have started to spring up uh, that integrate with Team System. Um, I have seen some extensibility in some of the designers. Um, uh, so while you're working with, for example, the application modeler inside a team system, uh, some of these vendors have actually extended the, the modeling surface to uh, provide more functionality to the developer, to the architect while they're using it. Hmm. Um, so it, it is a growing market, and I think one of the frustrations that I have heard um, from a lot of the vendors that I know who are uh, developing product for the company is that, you know, the the, the tool is still um, young. It is still kind of uh, early. The APIs are robust, but, um, you know, what's next? What's coming down the yeah, pipe? Yeah, I was thinking them? that. What's going to happen in V2? How badly are these things going to break? You know, I think about, you know, VBX to OCX and how badly we got hammered that people who are early into this thing are going to run into a lot of issues because Microsoft's learning a ton and they're going to make substantial changes. Yeah. Well, one of the things that we're looking at right now, one uh, is a new feature that should be released in the service pack, which will be around the end of September or so. And one of the new features is to have a custom control instead of a work item. So by default, you have just the set of controls that Microsoft provides you as part of a work item, which are pretty much drop-down lists and text boxes and, and so forth. But what if you wanted to put a grid in there? Or what if you want to have your own control that sucks information from a different store and Hell presents yeah. it differently? You know, and that's a great idea, but I wonder, boy, what's that going to do to the process template editor that we created? And what's that going to do to deployment? How am I going to deploy those OCXs or, you know, whatever you're using, DLLs, to my, uh, my client-side computers? We're working no, I'm sorry, on that's work- too much power. You can't have that feature. <laughs> yeah, turn that off. We're working do on a, a requirements management tool for, uh, for Word and Team System. So what it does is it round trips. Um, you know, I can actually start typing out a use case inside of Word and then have that use case published to Team System and then have it round tripped back into Word. And more importantly, I can have, um, uh, we created something called a work item explorer that I can drag work items from this explorer to my word surface and it renders it according to a particular template that helped you document generation. And, and you can also pull up the work item editor right in, you know, right inside a word to, to start filling out some of the, de- the details. And we're thinking, well, geez, how is that going to impact our app? So we're kind of in a wait and see mode as well to see what the APIs are going to look like. Um, how the XML definition that actually defines the work item is going to have to change and so forth. Joel, poking around on the third-party side of things, I saw this mentioned on your blog, uh, Scrum for Team System. And I'm a Scrum junkie, so this is pretty exciting for me. Yeah, I'm a Scrum junkie myself. Um, What this really is is a customized process template. 
I mentioned to you before that, um, you know, Team System runs off of these process templates that define all these work items and so forth. So what, what Scrum for Team System is, is really a customized uh, process template that has their own work item definitions. And we have things like sprints and backlogs and so forth. Right. Um, and it also comes with, uh, you know, it, when you install it, it also installs a Scrum uh, informational site that tells about uh, tells the user how to use the methodology, what all these concepts are, uh, and how to manage the the project through the reports that it gives you as well. So, um, Scrum comes with work, new work items, uh, a new project portal, as well as brand new reports that uh, a Scrum master or the team itself might want to use to see, you know, how they're doing and how to schedule um, the next iteration and so forth. Or sorry, the next sprint. Huh. Uh, it is really well written. Um, it is really uh, quite a powerful methodology, and I uh, recommend that to the world to see because it is definitely a viable uh, methodology. When Team System first came out, I remember us talking about this, the fact that people were going to be able to build templates based on different development methodologies. And naturally, we were talking about XP. Uh, Scrum is a flavor of XP. And I think what's exciting to me about this is this idea that if you're a Scrum guy who doesn't know Team System, this will make Team System more familiar to you. But the other way around works, too. You're a studio guy who doesn't really know how to do Scrum. This will help you give some structure to how you use Scrum effectively. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, and I have to applaud Microsoft for opening up that ability. It would be sad if Team System only supported MSF for right. example. They have really kind of taken a different approach and said, you know what, we're shipping MSF as methodologies and and they're good, but we're just we're we're not closing the door. If if others out there want to have one for the unified process, for example, sure, go ahead. Go nuts. Do it the way you um, want to do it. Well ultimately I think Microsoft's goal is to provide the best tools for software development, whatever how whatever direction software development goes in. You know, and, and they, they do have a good idea of software development, you know. You'd have to hope anyway. You would hope, yeah. So. Is there any greater compliment for a programmer really than somebody using your software in a way you didn't think of? Right. You know, it's really yeah. a testament to how good your software is that even though you didn't think of this use case and build it in, somebody was still able to take your tool and use it that way. Yeah, Absolutely. And you, you know, go, it, cool. We sort of banged <laughs> against this a little bit. Uh, the the deployment characteristics of uh, Team System. I don't think TFS really has much to do with that, does it? Um, deploying your application? Yeah. No. Uh, it it really doesn't come into play with uh, any type of deployment scenarios. Other than when you do the build, it's it's still a part of the check in process and making sure everything's properly packaged away, marking it as a build during the, yeah. the, uh, the, the steps involved. True. I mean, I mean, the build is part of that. I don't personally consider build as a, as a deployment, as an aspect of deployment. However, right. we have been using the automated builds to aid with deployment. So we would actually go and create a release-to-production build, for example, that, uh, you know, instead of having to run through all the unit tests and all the checks and all that kind of stuff, it really just kind of is there to... to, to to re recompile the application in release mode and dump it to a particular location on our network, which we can then go and pick it up and deploy to our web servers or, or something like that. Right. That makes sense to me. Yeah. And, uh, hey, guys, before we, before we get back to it, I want to mention that this portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our friends at Telerik. Telerik RAD Controls, RAD Controls, is the most comprehensive suite of components for Windows Forms and ASP.NET applications these guys do miracles with Ajax. Check them out online at www.telerik.com. Joel, this walks nicely into another topic that's a favorite of mine, which is continuous integration. <laughs> Absolutely. And Microsoft did not really build the concept of continuous integration into Team System. And I guess they really shouldn't have, so they didn't, because it is one particular methodology to building software. 
Right. And, and you know, I, I, I don't think it was, uh, we're not going to support team, uh, sorry, continuous integration type of conversations. It's kind of like, we have to ship a product. <laughs> and <laughs> what, what can we get away with not uh, shipping in V1? Is, is, is the continuous integration metaphor important to Microsoft? Absolutely. In fact, you know, all the, the bits and pieces are there for continuous integration. The APIs are rich enough. We've implemented continuous integration at com- customer sites that leverage these APIs. Uh, so it's totally possible with the tool. Is it built in and right out of the box? Unfortunately not. Well, you know, the r- Visual Studio Team System runs the risk of becoming the word of development, right? If right. they start getting feature creep and featureitis, pretty soon they'll be asking the question, well, what is this, right? So, I mean, there are other tools that they do continuous integration that, uh, that that's what they do, you know. And I'm thinking of cruise control, Cruise of course. control, of course, yeah. Yeah. Well, cruise control does have the ability to integrate with team system. It's, it's, it's probably not a, a one, 100% unified team system-based uh, continual integration solution, but it, it can use team system uh, to uh, help control or provide the source and uh, provide the control for the continuation, continual integration base. It works pretty slick. Okay. For those people who are actually uh, already using cruise control uh, against Visual Source, for example, they shouldn't fear moving towards cruise control against uh, and using team system. Um, and there's, there's a natural mindset uh, that is still there. But, of course, we're probably going to be seeing much more continual integration tools from Microsoft as well as from other vendors as well. Joel, give us your favorite feature. I mean, we've talked about a lot of features. What, what's the coolest bit of this? Absolutely the API. I mean, each of the features themselves are, you know, some of them are, are cool. Some of them are maybe not so cool, like the Microsoft Project Integration. I would put on the not so cool side. Yeah. However, the APIs, I just, we, we have no end in fun. And, and what we can do with those APIs. I have a summer student working with me. Ironically, his name is Joel. Um, so <laughs> immediately I labeled him as a genius. Um, but uh, he is doing some phenomenal stuff with us around Visto, Office 2007, and the Team System APIs. And, and he's just wading into the stuff, consuming it. Um, you know, he's not lost in these APIs. They're really well written. They work. And we're just doing some extraordinary stuff with that. And I just find this pattern over and over again. If it's not there, you, it's not really that difficult to go and make it do that stuff. Mm. Uh, and, and you shouldn't be intimidated by it. So I really get jazzed when it comes to the extensibility side of t- team system um, and, from the server perspective. And again, you think it's kind of too early to 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 point to a really robust third-party tool community, but you think yeah, that's going to happen? It's, yeah, I, it's going to happen for sure. Um, but I, I just I, I don't feel the love quite yet yeah. um, with regards to an entire. Um, segment of the IT community that's building add-ons for Team System yet. It's going to happen, though. You know, we talked a bit about XP being used inside of Team System. Have we seen a full CMMI implementation under Team System as well? <laughs> what do you mean by full? Level 3? Well, I, I, okay, 3 is enough if you can get a Level 3 <laughs> implementation. I guess the main thing here is, are we following the reporting methodologies dictated in CMMI so that we've got that feedback mechanism that they want? Yeah, CMMI is um, the process template that Microsoft ships. Uh, it's called MSF for CMMI. Um, and at time of launch, um, I'd have to, you know, I don't want to get uh, the Microsoft guys mad at me, but I, I'd have to say that it was partially incomplete in some areas. The work items were defined properly. I didn't think that there was enough guidance in the, in the process methodology to, to instruct um, consumers of that methodology and how to actually implement uh, MSF for CMMI to achieve a CMMI baseline. Right. That being said, I have I don't have any customers who are using Team System and uh, the CMMI capabilities to specifically achieve CMMI. What what I've been finding is that a number of customers are saying, "Hey, we're we kind of like CMMI. We're not interested in getting certified, but we like some of its principles. Let's use MSF for CMMI and the good tracking and auditing stuff that Team System provides for us right. to do, to to increase our practices and uh, and to help us make a you know, make a more predictable process model." 
that's the general trend. I personally, I haven't seen a customer who is trying to achieve MSF for CMMI level three with Team System yet. That doesn't mean that one doesn't exist. Uh, and I'm sure um, you know if the Microsoft guys are are out there, please go and blog about someone who's done that, and uh, that would be really a great story. So we've talked about, have we covered all the features of Teams Foundation Server yet? I mean, we certainly talked about the reporting side of things. We've talked about the work item, that whole workflow component. Are there pieces we've missed? Well, yeah. I mean, it, it all kind of starts with work items. Um, we The version control is obviously brand new. It's not built on top of um, Visual SourceSafe in any way. It's a brand Yay. new source control engine. Uh, and bye, it works. V- VSS. So long. Yep. See you later. Um, you know, underneath the hood, we have the data warehouse, and it's interesting how Visual Studio, or sorry, Team System Foundation is actually implemented in a pluggable architecture. So all these things, like change management, the work item tracking, they're all just plugins, to tell you quite truthfully, for Team System. And they all have their own, uh, what are called operational stores. So work items, uh, plugin, for example, saves its data to the work item operational store. Right. The automated build piece, for example, um, saves its uh, data to the build automated store. And then um, what happens is that Team System is able to aggregate data from all these desperate operational stores into one data warehouse um, and allow people to report on that. Uh, and and really, that's it's kind of an untouched feature, but it's probably, in my opinion, one of the most valuable ones for that producing that feedback mechanism. And then, of course, on top of that are all the reports. Uh, and and there's static reports, which are the reports that we get out of the box, which are some of them really great, and some of them, you know, you kind of wonder, hey, why do I have that report? But then you also have <laughs> you also have the Microsoft Excel integration. So I mean, it's just a it's just an, a cube. So I go into Excel, I go, you know, open uh, a new data source, I point to the cube, I suck in the data, and I make all my fancy dancy pivot tables with that. Uh, that is good stuff. Yeah, I'll keep a manager Goodness. busy for hours so he doesn't bother anybody. Yeah, just go and, go and play with your cube. Don't, don't go play it. with your cube. Yeah. We'll talk to you later. Yeah. Oh, we're such smug developers. <laughs> we, should, we should be slapped. <laughs> I'm making fun of myself, I swear. I know, yeah. Here I am writing a book on project management, right? That's right, yeah. So what's, uh, what's coming down the pike in terms of, uh, in terms of the team system? Well, we're going to have a new service pack. New service pack is probably going to be the biggest news uh, that we're going to see this year. Uh, and this is not the first September. service pack, is it? This is the first major service pack. Oh, wow. Foundation server, yeah. For foundation um, server. Yeah. So we've got some good stuff coming down. We've got um, lots and lots and lots and lots of performance upgrades for uh, like version control and the work item tracking and the database warehouse, kind of as we talked about before. One of the other things that's coming out that has been a, a pain for some of my customers, is the ability to support different authentication mechanisms for intranet versus extranet users. Mm-hmm, uh, right, right now, uh, we don't. We have to use NTLM um, for validation, which means that my people external to my organization have to VPN in in order to get to my team system. Ah, well, right, yeah. We, you know, and it's interesting. It suddenly hits me like a flash. We've really not talked about what it takes to run a team foundation server because I remember in the old days back in the early beta it was a real struggle to get a setup that worked I think it was three different VPCs we were running to make that happen yeah it was uh, Harry Potter magic that's it yeah <laughs> and um, TFS definitely wants to live on its own machine it's got its own instance of SQL server is that the the way there there are many ways and they're and they're very much governed by the conditions for which you're going to be using it. Uh, in most of my installs, we're looking at one server, and we have a number of tiers, that, like physical tiers, that Team System has broken down into. And the database tier and one is the application tier. Those are two primary ones that we need to be concerned about. Now, you can run those guys both on the same box. Right. And, and most of the organizations choose to do that because with that, we can support upwards of around 500 concurrent users. That's now, enough for most shops. Well, yeah, for for a lot of different shops. Um, you'd want to start thinking about separating your application tier from your database tier when you start exceeding, um, you know, there's really good recommendations and some, some knowledge bases around you know, what that threshold is. But as soon as you start seeing that um, 
you need to support literally maybe a thousand users and so forth, or over five hundred. You're going to really start thinking about separating your application tier. Now, there's some interesting requirements there. Like, for example, the application tier can't run on the 64 um, bit OS. It, oh, it's right, run. and I've heard yeah. noise about this that this yeah. was has been a bit of an issue for people. Right. So if you if you really wanted your database tier running with a 64 bit OS, you have to separate those tiers right off the bat. Ah. Uh. Wow, I I, yeah. I see that as a mistake on the on the team's part. Like, it's just not that hard to make sixty four bit work. I know you have to think about it. There are some things you need to do, but that should have been thought about. We're just not building non sixty four bit servers anymore. Yeah, yeah, we, we certainly well, shouldn't I mean, have. There's, there's other things that you should be considering. Like one of the things I'd really like to see is to take my OLAP services and put them somewhere else. I can't do that. Ah, my OLAP okay. services are are basically on my data tier, um, and I, you know, personally, I just, you know, it feels dirty. I don't like that. Well, just <laughs> like you want to separate your transaction processing from your reporting. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. you want to keep those two things separate so they don't impact each other. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. So um, there's also going to be tons of bug fixes uh, in the new service pack. Um, I am... You have been using the uh, new Office 2007, um, and as you know, there is Excel and uh, project integration with Office, and it's been kind of quirky running un- underneath Office 2007, so they're going to be really kind of updating it, fixing a lot of bugs to support 2007. Unfortunately, no support for SharePoint 2007. Uh, I think that's going to be a, a mistake as well. I, I really am enjoying playing around with uh, SharePoint 2007. I think that they could really use uh, that particular piece to extend a lot of the functionality of the tool. Mm. Joel, um, what's your what's your upcoming book called? It's called Managing Projects and Team System. Simple as that. What's the publisher? Uh, Microsoft Press. Okay. When, when when's it? What's the ETA on that? I believe January. We've had to push it back um, more because of logistical problems than anything else. Um, but it should be released around the January time frame. And it's really going to be focusing on more of the, uh, the Agile approach um, to project management. Um, as you know, MSF for CMMI is an Agile-ish implementation of CMMI. Um, so contradiction in terms, we're, we're going to be embracing a lot of those Agile principles when, we, when we're going to be dealing with the project management aspect. Are you the only author? No, I'm writing it with uh, a really talented author named Martin Denner. Okay. He's had a tremendous amount of experience in the manufacturing world. And, uh, you know, when we talk about project management and some of the new disciplines, the ways of thinking about production systems, he's, uh, he's really kind of uh, one of the leaders in that area. Excellent. Are you uh, speaking at any conferences coming up here? Is there any place we can see you? You know, I've been keeping it uh, fairly low since TechEd, just mm-hmm. uh, doing lots of vacation, and I haven't done any booking for upcoming conferences. I am doing a code camp, though, uh, hopefully if everything works out right, in, in Edmonton, Alberta, in September. Um, um, and I don't really have any major conferences booked anytime soon. So, Okay. What about uh, other resources on the web that you might want to point people to? Well, I mean, obviously, I'm, I love Brian Harry's um, blog. He is uh, he is just so transparent in and in, in their approach and and the product itself. I mean, it's a staple for me. And, I have, and uh, Brian Harry's on the team. He is a Microsoft yeah. employee building the product. He's definitely on the team. I have a guy working for me. His name is Steve Porter, and he's done a lot of best practices type stuff on his blog. So he has a lot of best practices, for example, around branching and merging. When do you really want to branch? When do you really want to merge? Mm. What should you stay away from? So uh, Steve Porter's blog is uh, is definitely one I'd recommend as well. He's got a lot of really good lessons learned over the past uh, number of years. Is he a Mac guy? He is. He's the Mac guy, and mm. he's and he's he's probably uh, one of the most brilliant team system guys I've ever met. But he is he loves his Mac. Uh, he, <laughs> he he uh, he just Nothing loves wrong it. With and, that. But it just goes to show you that you can live in a Mac world and still have the goodness of Team Foundation Server. Yeah, um, that is very interesting. Yeah. All right, Joel. Um, we're coming to the end of the show, and of course, I like to ask my guests if there's anything that they've seen online very, that's very cool, totally unrelated, or a new toy, or or anything cool that uh, that you've come across lately. Geez, you know, I have to admit, I'm not really a toy geek. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm not sure I can. Uh, kind of, 
think a of game, anything a that would podcast, uh, anything you can think of at all? Anything you want to share? You know, I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> Some new shoes. Uh, <laughs> you know, hat. I love my my iMate SP5. All right, well there you go. My, my iMate SP5 has become my new best friend. I used to have an iMate Jazz Jar, uh, and it mm. felt like walking around with a brick in your pocket. Uh, because you know, it is, is a brick. brick. Yeah, is that <laughs> a brick in your pocket? The bricks aren't so damn fragile. Yeah, <laughs> I actually had to send it in for repairs twice. But my iMate SP5 is this beautiful device that just works. I use it mostly as a, uh, an output device, meaning I, you know, I sync uh, with my calendar and I don't use it to enter data, but mm-hmm. it, it just, just makes me happy. Very good. Joel Semeni, I thank you very much for sharing your uh, thoughts about Team System and your insight and knowledge, of course. It's very much appreciated by us and our fans. Thanks. Thanks a lot, guys. All right. And we'll see you next week on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks can be found online at www.dotnetrocks.com and at msdn.microsoft.com slash dotnetrocks. .NET Rocks is edited each week by Jeff Maciolik, that's me, and Carl Franklin, who is also executive producer. All music heard on .NET Rocks, including Toy Boy, the theme song, is created and produced by Carl Franklin and Franklin Brothers Band. Carl never sleeps. .NET Rocks is produced for Franklin's Net by Plop Productions, providing professional audio and podcasting services online at www.pwop.com. Plop, it's time to get your impact back. Yes, I'm a-